As you're reading through the book of Acts, you will encounter this line. Now, this is from Acts chapter 18, verses 1 to 2. It says, then Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. Now, this is the Apostle Paul. He's on his second missionary journey, and he's traveling in Greece, goes from Athens to Corinth. It says there in Corinth, he became acquainted with a Jew named Aquila who had recently moved from Italy with his wife Priscilla. They had left Italy when Claudius Caesar deported all Jews from Rome. Now, this little mention of the Jewish people being expelled from Rome is the only time that this is mentioned in the New Testament. However, this is also something that is mentioned in history as well, which you would have expected because this is written by the physician Luke, who was a great historian himself. He's the one who wrote the Gospel of Luke and also the Acts of the Apostles. And we uh, find out more about this from the Roman historian Suetonius. And this is what he says. He says that since the Jews constantly made disturbances at the instigation of Crestus, Crestus, he expelled them from Rome. This is in Suetonius's Lives of the Caesars. And so, what he's saying is the, the Jewish people in Rome were constantly causing disturbances. So, the emperor, fourth Roman emperor, expels them from the city. And it says that he does so because they were uh, rioting, they were causing disturbances at the instigation of Crestus, C-H-R-E. S-T-U-S. Now, that name was a common name, especially amongst, among slaves. However, the most common interpretation of this is that it's actually a mishearing and a misspelling of the word for Christ. It would just be one letter off, the I for the E. And as we see from the New Testament, in fact, this very passage right before this, uh, Paul, the Apostle Paul is expelled from Macedonia because as he preaches Christ, it causes disturbances among the people that this was a pretty common experience. So, the, the conventional wisdom is that what happened was as the gospel came to Rome, it was uh, brought to the people primarily by other Jewish people. It's uh, just like the Apostle Paul would always start in a synagogue and then work outward to the Gentile population in a city, that it probably started that way. And at this time, they would not have made a big distinction between Jewish people and Jewish believers in Christ. So, probably they were just kind of all bunched together as Jewish people. And so, what we think happened is that as the gospel came to Rome, that it caused conflict among the new believers and the traditional Jewish people as well. And as a result of that, it causes disturbances and the Jewish people as a whole are kicked out of Rome. Now, because not every believer in Christ would have been a Jewish believer, there would have been Gentile believers as well. 
think of what happened to the church at that time. The church had gathered together. It was made up of both Jews and Gentiles united in their faith in Christ. And then the emperor kicks all of the Jewish people, including the Jewish believers in Christ, out of the city, leaving only the Gentile believers back in the churches in Rome. Now, depending on when this is dated, it was probably about five years that the Jews were expelled from Rome before they could start returning. So, during this time, what had been a predominantly Jewish cultural church lost all of the Jewish people and became a predominantly Gentile culture church. And then all of the, the Jewish believers, as well as other Jews, were able to return to Rome and they had to figure out how to integrate once again in the body of Christ in the church. Now, I tell you that story because we are in the Gospel of Mark. And if you've been following along, you may remember that the Gospel of Mark is uh, primarily a record by John Mark of Peter the Apostle's preaching, and that both Mark and Peter were in Rome. So, this is the situation that they would have pastored the people through, the reintegration of the church of both Jewish and Gentile believers in Jesus. About 10 years after this was when the great fire of Rome happened and the great persecution of Christians under Nero broke out. And it was around this time that the apostle Peter was martyred and about this time that the gospel of Mark would have been written. So again, Mark is recording for all time the preaching of the apostle Peter, and we find that in the gospel of Mark. So he is not only telling the story of Jesus, but he's also addressing the pastoral concerns, primarily the persecution that 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 broke out under Nero, but you can see in Peter's preaching, preserved in the Gospel of Mark, this these hints to what pastoral situations Peter was dealing with as well, including the separation and then reintegration of Jewish and Gentile believers in the church of Jesus. And I think that is part of what's behind the passage that we are going to look at today in this series called Things Set Right. And the overarching theme in all of this, what we're going to be talking about today is acceptance. Acceptance of one another in the body of Christ. How can I embrace people who are different than I am? And what makes us acceptable to God? And obviously, what we want is to not separate people, not judge people, not separate from people whom God has accepted, and accept one another in the body of Christ in the same way and on the same basis as God accepts them in the body of Christ. 
And the way that he does that is not based on performance, not based on their genealogy, but, and this is the bottom line for today, you are all children of God, how? Through faith in Christ Jesus. You are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Now, I'm actually borrowing this from a verse in the Bible, a verse from the letter of uh, Paul to the Galatians. And just remember that this is written to believers, to followers of Jesus. So when he says you are all children of God, he's not saying that to the world in general. He's saying this to followers of Jesus. You are children of God, yes, because you're a follower of Jesus. But what has made that the case, what has made you acceptable to God, it is your faith, your trust, your allegiance to Jesus Christ, what he did on the cross counting for you. And so, the way that we apply this and the challenge that I'll give you for today is to find your identity in Jesus first. First and foremost, identify as a follower of Jesus, and then everything else falls in line. Now, we've looked at many times this introduction to the Gospel of Mark. In the very first line of the Gospel, Mark tells you what he thinks about Jesus. This is the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. Now, one of the things that we may have touched on before is that there's these two aspects. Number one, this is good news. This is an announcement of good news. And what is it about? It's all about Jesus, the whole gospel, our church, everything about this is all about Jesus. Two aspects. He's the Messiah. He's the one that is promised by God to come and rescue his people and to be a good shepherd king. He's also the divine son of God. Now, one of the things that we haven't talked about before is how this ties up and unites both Jews and Gentiles, both the Jewish culture and kind of rifts off of the Roman culture as well. Good news is just an announcement of good news. The euangelion is the word that is used, and it would be the same kind of word that would have been used of emperors returning from a victory in battle, for example. It would say, here's the good news. We won. So what they're doing is say, uh, what Mark is saying is this is the same kind of thing. We're announcing good news. Jesus has won. Jesus is the Messiah. That ties into his Jewish roots, that that uh, Jesus is that promised one who is uh, talked about and promised in the Old Testament scriptures. He's also the divine son of God as well. He is God in the flesh. Now, what you may not know is that this title was also used of Roman emperors because the Romans were always trying to encourage divine worship of the emperors as well. So, what, G- what Mark is doing and what Jesus has done is saying, not only am I the fulfillment of the promises to the Jewish people, I'm the real thing, the thing that the Romans are only 
hinting at can only pretend to Jesus is that divine son of God. And in this passage, in this section, the larger section that we're looking at in the gospel of Mark, we see these two themes tied together. Now, last week, we looked at more the how Jesus was the fulfillment of the promises to the Jewish people. And we started with this particular verse, Mark 6.34, where it says that he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. He encounters his people. He sees that they uh, are don't are leaderless and rudderless and so he has compassion on them and we saw in last week's message how this tied into the themes of the two most prominent figures of the old testament the, the hebrew scriptures moses and david moses prayed Please appoint a new man as leader. Give them someone who will guide them wherever they go so the community of the Lord will not be like sheep without a shepherd. What Mark quotes in uh, his gospel are the very words of the prayer that Moses prayed as he was getting ready to hand off leadership of the ancient Israelites. And then last week, we also looked at King David and most famously, this Psalm, first, uh, Psalm 23, is attributed to him where it says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. David is that prototype good shepherd king. And in the passages that we looked at last week, we saw how Jesus was the prophet like Moses, the leader for his people that Moses prayed for. And he's also the ideal shepherd king in the same way and from the same line and dynasty as King David. And this week, we're going to see how Jesus is that divine son of God, not just for the Jewish people, but for the world as a whole, for everyone everywhere. This is from Mark chapter 8, verse 15. As they were crossing the lake, Jesus warned them, watch out, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and of Herod. Here, Jesus is warning his disciples to be on the lookout, to be aware of, to be wary of two particular problems. Yeast is often used of sin or something that goes wrong as a metaphor for that in the scriptures. And so he says, watch out, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and of Herod. Now, all throughout this, the, the gospel, we've seen Jesus encountering conflicts with the Pharisees. Uh, in Luke chapter 12, verse 1, we're told that the yeast of the Pharisees is hypocrisy. And I would define it back a little bit back from that to legalism, which is that root of hypocrisy. What is legalism? That's defining who's in and who's out, who's acceptable to God and who's not, and therefore who's acceptable to me and who's not by a list of rules, a list of do's and don'ts, not from God, but from that are man-made, that are made up by people. Sometimes people come up with these lists with the best of intentions, but the bottom line is that it is wrong, it is destructive, it is unhelpful. Here's how this works. When you decide that you're going to draw a line and say, here's what makes people acceptable if you stay within these lines. And anybody that's outside of that line is unacceptable, including me, if I cross over that line. 
what you're probably going to do is set a standard that no one can meet. And so when you cross that line, you're faced with this almost existential crisis. It's like, how can I be acceptable to God if I have fallen short? The scriptures say, we've all fallen short of the glory of God, of God's glorious standard. And that makes sense. If I don't even live up to my own standards, then how can I possibly think that I would live up to God's? So what happens is you define who's in and who's out by this narrow man-made list of do's and don'ts. And then you judge the people who are on the outside of that. And then when you accidentally cross that line, you can't judge yourself. And so you pretend that you don't cross that line and therefore you have crossed into hypocrisy. So that's how the yeast of the Pharisees, that's what that means. It's legalism that leads to hypocrisy and judgmentalism and separatism and all kinds of other unhelpful things. Then the other side of it, which we won't spend a lot of time on, is the yeast of Herod. Now, Herod was the uh, king, the tetrarch in that area. And this is basically trying to accomplish God's purposes through worldly or political power. There are two different ways that people would approach getting uh, 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 political power, making things happen, bringing about the kingdom of God from their perspective. You had the the Pharisees who would try to say, okay, we're going to define this very narrowly. We're going to try to always do the right things. We're going to make sure that we look good and then God will bless us and then we will, uh, things will go well. You have Herod who's like, okay, well, we've got these this power and the only way that things happen in the world is through political power. So if we want to see God's will accomplished, we have to seize political power. We see the same kind of parallelism in the disciples of Jesus. You have Simon the Zealot. The Zealots were a political party, but not like political party like we think of Democrats or Republicans, more along the long lines of Al-Qaeda. They were going to, to uh, terrorize and murder and kill and foment revolution in order to seize political power so that they could execute God's will as they saw it. That's Simon the Zealot. Then you have, for example, Matthew the tax collector, and he's more along the lines of Herod. The Romans are in charge. They're the ones that have got the power. My, if you can't beat them, join them. And so collaborate with them, get power by sharing power and going along with the powers that be. Tax collectors would work for the Roman government, collect taxes from their own people, and uh, use that power for their own enrichment. Now, the thing that I want you to remember is that both Simon the Zealot and Matthew the tax collector came together among and in the disciples of Jesus. And in order for that to happen, they had to reject each of these philosophies to accept Jesus' philosophy and to embrace one another as well. So, Jesus warns them, watch out, be aware of the yeast of the Pharisees and of Herod. And what we're going to see in these next stories that we are looking at today are the ways that the preaching of Peter was addressing this pastoral concern of what makes people acceptable or unacceptable to God, and therefore the basis of our acceptance of one another 
in the gospel. The last passages, he was focusing on the Jewish aspect. This, these passages, he's focusing on the Gentiles and how even in the ministry of teaching of example of Jesus, we were prepared for this world in which both Jews and Gentiles are joined together as one people of God under the banner of Jesus Christ. So, let's look at these stories together. This is Mark chapter 7 that we're going to begin with. And the first section is chapter 7, verses 1 to 23. It's a conflict that Jesus has with the Pharisees. And what we're going to see here is that we identify with Jesus, not with our particular traditions or preferences. We identify with Jesus, not with tradition. Verse 1, one day some Pharisees and teachers of religious law arrived from Jerusalem to see Jesus. They noticed that some of his disciples failed to follow the Jewish ritual of hand washing before eating. And then Mark adds an explanatory note. The Jews, especially the Pharisees, do not eat until they have poured water over their cupped hands as required by their ancient traditions. Similarly, they don't eat anything from the market until they immerse their hands in water. This is but one of many traditions that they have clung to, such as their ceremonial washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. He's just explaining they do a lot of these different cleansing routines, and this is just part of their tradition. They're trying to draw the line around what makes a person righteous or unrighteous, what makes a person acceptable or unacceptable. Verse 5, so the Pharisees and teachers of religious law asked him, why don't your disciples follow our age-old tradition? They eat without first performing the hand-washing ceremony. Jesus replied, and this is the passage of the scripture that I'm going to put up here. You hypocrites. Isaiah was right. Remember what did Jesus teach was the yeast of the Pharisees? It's hypocrisy. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. For he wrote, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are for, far from me. In other words, it's all an uh, exhibition. It's all done for show. It's all about what happens on the outside, not what happens on the inside. Verse 7, their worship is a farce, for they teach man-made ideas as commands from God. For you ignore God's law and substitute your own tradition. And then he's going to give an example. Verse 9, then he said, you skillfully sidestep God's law in order to hold on to your tradition. For instance, Moses gave you this law from God, honor your father and mother. And anyone who speaks disrespectfully of father or mother must be put to death. Verse 11, but you say, it's all right for people to say to their parents, sorry, I can't help you for I have vowed to God what I would have given to you. In other words, I'm going to give a gift to God and that's why I can't take care of my parents. In the same way, you let, in this way, you let them disregard their needy parents. And so you cancel the word of God in order to hand down your own tradition. And this is only one example among many others. Then Jesus called the crowd to come and hear. All of you listen and try to understand. It's not what goes into your body that defies you. You are defied by what comes out of your heart. So, one of the things that would have 
caused separation and difficulty among the fellowship within the church of Jews and Gentiles was this idea of the dietary laws. Traditional Jews would follow certain laws about what to eat and what not to eat. The Gentiles were not used to and not familiar with and not accustomed to those laws. This was something that was dealt with in the scriptures, and eventually the church came to realize, in part, large part, based on Jesus' teaching, like here, that the believers in Jesus, whether they were Jews or Gentiles, were not under obligation to do that anymore. You didn't have to follow these particular rules, these uh, dietary laws, in order to be acceptable. So, that's helping the church to come together. Verse 17, Then Jesus went into a house to get away from the crowd, and his disciples asked him what he meant by the parallel he had just used. Don't you understand either, he asked? Can't you see that food you put into your body cannot defile you? Food doesn't go into your heart, but only passes through the stomach and then goes into the sewer. And then again, Mark adds an explanatory note just to make it clear. By saying this, he declared that every kind of food is acceptable in God's eyes. So, one of the things that would have been difficult about the church coming back together, receiving one another, accepting one another in fellowship, was whether or not they observed the dietary laws. What the Apostle Peter's teaching and Mark's record of it in the Gospel of Mark does is look at this scene from Jesus' life to draw the conclusion that we don't have to separate based on what we eat or don't eat. We can fellowship one with another. We are one in Christ Jesus. And then he goes on to bring back it around, bring it back around to the theme of what matters is not so much what happens on the outside, but what's going on on the inside. Mark 7, 19, food doesn't go into your heart but only passes through the stomach and then goes into the sewer. In other words, what food does is it goes into you, but then eventually it goes in the sewer. That's not a big deal. By saying this, he declared that every kind of food is acceptable in God's eyes. And really, this ultimately isn't about what's acceptable food-wise. It's what people are acceptable. And he's saying these dietary laws don't make a person acceptable or unacceptable. You can eat whatever you want and still be acceptable to God. Why? Because you are all children of God through your diet? No. Through following certain religious rules and regulations? No. You are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Okay. Then the next scene, Mark 7, 24 to 30 teaches us that we are to identify with Jesus, not with some particular group. <clears throat> this is the story of the faith of the Gentile woman. Verse 24, Then Jesus left Galilee and went north to the region of Tyre. He didn't want anyone to know which house he was staying in, but he couldn't keep it a secret. Right away, a woman who had heard about him came and fell at his feet. Her little girl was possessed by an evil spirit, and she begged him to cast out the demon from her daughter. Since she was a Gentile, born in Syrian Phoenicia, okay, and this is the verse that I pulled up, 
what this is telling us is this is a person who does not have a Jewish background. Jesus has gone outside of Jewish territory into Gentile territory, and he encounters a person who does not have, doesn't live in the same area, doesn't have the same background as he is not a part of his people. Jesus told her, because he's, she is asking him to heal her daughter, first I should feed the children, my own family, the Jews. It isn't right to take food from the children and throw it to the dogs. Now, at first, this is kind of shocking and kind of harsh. And you think, wow, Jesus is being unkind here. I tend to think that it's more like a test, kind of in the same way that we saw when it came to the feeding of the 5,000 in the previous sections, how he said to the disciples, you feed them. How are they possibly going to feed them? In this, the woman comes to Jesus asking him to heal her daughter, and he's kind of saying, well, on what basis should I do this? Shouldn't I take care of my own people first? Is it right for me to take these gifts that I'm able to give and give it to people who are outside the circle of my faith and my people? And so he throws this out there. And then her reply is this, Lord, she replied, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And what what does she say? Uh, You know, even in a household, we're not talking about feral dogs out on the street. Another translation puts this as the puppies, the puppies around the table, they get to eat the scraps that fall to the floor. In other words, even in a household, you take care of not just the children, but the pets, the puppies as well. It's not demeaning to her. She's saying, look, even I am worth taking care of. Even I am worth taking uh, uh, my requests into consideration. And then Jesus says, great answer. Perfect. And your request is, is granted. And she goes home and finds that her daughter has been healed. So in the first passage, we saw it was about dietary laws and about traditions. And he said, all foods are clean and therefore uh, you're acceptable, whatever your dietary habits are. Here, by saying this, he declared that every kind of people are acceptable. Every kind of person is acceptable in God's eyes. And that makes me think of the Apostle Paul's letter to the Galatian church. And this is where my bottom line for this week comes from. In Galatians 3.25, the Apostle Paul writes to the church in Galatia, For you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And then just a couple of sentences later, he goes on to expand on that. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. In other words, all these different ways that the world is trying to separate you out and encouraging you to judge and to distinguish between people and rank them in all of these different ways, it's all meaningless because in Christ, once you identify with Christ, once you are united in Christ, that's how you become the children of God and you are all one in Christ Jesus. Is it fair? Absolutely. Everybody gets in the same way. You don't have any benefit because of your history, your genealogy, your tradition, your upbringing. We are all 
in need of forgiveness before Christ, and we are all accepted into God's family on the basis of Christ. You are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Then, in this next passage, Mark 7, 31 to 36, the lesson is that we don't rule out anyone. If we are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus, then we can't rule out anyone based on their past, based on their former identity, based on their past experience or past performance. We don't rule out anyone. At the beginning of this passage, it says Jesus left Tyre and Sidon before going back to the Sea of Galilee and the region of the Ten Towns. Now, I have highlighted all of this geography. We've talked before how geography is important in the Gospel of Mark to point out that Tyre, Sidon, and the Ten Towns, which might be translated, transliterated in your Bible as the Decapolis, uh, all of these places are primarily Gentile areas. And what Jesus has been doing after presenting himself as the, the, the prophet like Moses and the king like David, he's now going to go into all these other areas for, to whom, for whom Moses and David are practically meaningless and saying, I'm for you too. The, and prefiguring the gospel being presented to, opened to all the nations. So Mark 7 Beginning at verse 31, Jesus left Tyre, went to Sidon before going back to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Ten Towns. A deaf man with a speech impediment was brought to him, and the people begged Jesus to lay his hands on the man to heal him. So we see in Tyre and Sidon that the woman who did not share any kind of background, any commonality with Jesus, asked to be healed. Jesus uh, asked for her daughter to be healed. Jesus heals her daughter. Now, this man who is uh, deaf and has a speech impediment is brought to Jesus and asked to heal. What is he going to do? It, this is another outsider. What, how does Jesus treat outsiders? Does he rule them out or does he include them in? Verse 33, Jesus led him away from the crowd so they could be alone put his fingers into the man's ears. Then spitting on his own fingers, he touched the man's tongue. Now, I think this is interesting and beautiful. The person could not hear what Jesus would say to him. So it's as if Jesus is acting out, here's what's going to happen. And he touches his ears and he touches his tongue. In other words, I'm going to extend my hand to you. I'm going to to touch these places that need healing so that the man would understand what's going on and could respond in faith. Looking up to heaven, he sighed and said, Ephatha, which means be opened. Instantly, the man could hear perfectly and his tongue was freed so he could speak plainly. Jesus told the crowd not to tell anyone, but the more he told them not to, the more they spread the news. They were completely amazed and said again and again, everything he does is wonderful. He even makes the deaf to hear and gives speech to those who cannot speak. So in this passage, is he going to extend the same kind of healing, the same kind of touch, the same kind of benefit to people who are outsiders? He does. He doesn't rule anyone out. 
And this is a good time to extend that invitation to you. I don't know what kind of healing you think that you need, but ultimately this is all talking about a healing on the inside that's reflected on the outside. It's the time where we say yes to Jesus. I commit my life to Jesus. I want to be a part of his family. I want to be a citizen in his kingdom. What are you saying yes to? You're saying yes to his forgiveness, that we all have a sin problem, an interior problem that needs to be healed. And when you say yes to Jesus, you're saying what you did on the cross, Jesus, in paying for the sins of the world, I want that to count for my sins as well. You're also saying yes to Jesus as Lord, that he gets the boss, that he gets to call the shots, that you are going to follow him, identify with him, declare your allegiance to him. And when you do that, on that basis alone, what he did on the cross and who he is, you will be forgiven, you will be adopted into his family as a precious, beloved son or daughter, and you are a citizen in his kingdom. If you are doing this for the first time, we would love to be able to celebrate with you and encourage you in your walk with Jesus. And so, if wherever you're listening or watching, you can text YES to 603-225-2550. And again, we'll be able to celebrate with you and resource you in your walk with Jesus. Now, to wrap it up, I want to look at Mark 8, 1 to 21. Last week, we saw how Jesus had compassion on the people. He was moved with compassion and he taught them as Moses taught the people. Here, we have another feeding, this time of 4,000 households. Last time it was 5,000. And the same word, compassion, ties these two stories together. In Mark 8, 2, it says, I have compassion for these people. They've already been with me for three days and have nothing to eat. And so, in a very similar way, similar to last week's passage, he asked the disciples to do something about it. They say, we don't have the resources. All we have are these seven loaves of bread and a few fish. Jesus does the same kind of thing. He gives thanks. He starts to hand out the bread. The disciples hand out the bread. All 4,000 households eat their fill. And afterwards, they collect seven baskets this time. Last time it was 12. This time it's seven. Seven baskets of leftovers. Then they get in a boat and they are beginning to cross the sea. And Jesus gives this warning about the yeast of the Pharisees and Herod. The disciples are confused. They don't understand what he's talking about. They begin to argue with themselves, thinking about yeast. Well, Jesus is talking about bread. He must have been upset with us because we didn't bring bread for the journey. He says, you're missing the point. Don't you remember when we, when I fed the 5,000, how many baskets of leftovers did you pick up? They remember, 12. And when I fed the 4,000, just now, how many baskets of leftovers did you pick up? Seven. Okay, good. And then he says, Do, don't you know or understand even yet? Are your hearts too hard to take it in? You have eyes. Can't you see? You have ears. Can't you hear. Now, 
he's kind of scolding them. He's saying, look, uh, please make the connection. And what's the connection that he's making? Now, I don't. I try not to go crazy in making something about numbers. People can look at numbers in the Bible and kind of go off the rails. But in this particular instance, I really do think that there's something to the numbers because Jesus is asking specifically for the numbers, and there's meaning in that. He's just warned them, be careful of the Pharisees and the party of Herod. And it's all about focusing on the inside, not outward. What makes a person acceptable to God is their inward condition. That's what Jesus came to take care of. Whatever you believe about Jesus, it was clear that he came to set things right, beginning with us on the inside, and then inviting us afterward to be a part of his program of making things right, setting things right in the world. And Peter is addressing a community that could divide over these things. Mark is preserving the gospel as preached by Peter to a people who could be divided over these things and reminding them that you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. It's Jesus that ultimately matters. In the 5,000, you picked up 12 baskets. 12 is an incredibly significant number. It's not by accident that Jesus picked the 12 uh, disciples, made them 12 apostles, because there were 12 tribes of Israel. He's saying, I'm reconstituting, restarting the people of God with my crew. And then the number seven. Seven is a, is a symbolic of completion. It's perfection. A whole week is seven days. It's also associated with the Gentiles. In part, an example of this in the book of Genesis, when it's listing all the known nations of the world at that time, there are 70 Gentile nations, 70 nations out there. So seven became associated with the people of the world, just the whole world, the complete list of the world. So Jesus comes into a wilderness area and feeds his own people and picks up the 12 baskets afterwards. Then he goes into a Gentile area and feeds the 4,000 households and they pick up the seven baskets afterwards. And Jesus is saying, look, this is good news for all people, Jews, Gentiles, no matter your past, no matter your background, no matter your upbringing, no matter your performance or your record, Jesus' gospel is good news for all people. Everybody is invited. Everybody gets in the same way. This is the message. And so we are accepting of one another, not because of anything else, except that we are accepted in the beloved because of what Jesus did on the cross for us. You are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. So the practical application that I will leave you with is since this is the case, and since our world is always trying to divide us up in all kinds of different ways, it's so important for us as followers of Jesus to never get fuzzy on this, never to vary from this, 
The reason that we're acceptable to God and one another is because of our identification with Jesus. So we find our identity in Jesus first. What makes a person acceptable to God is Jesus. What makes us one in the body of Christ is Jesus. What makes us a family is Jesus. And that, just like with Simon the Zealot and Matthew the tax collector, should overcome and trump everything else in our world. Identify with Jesus. Find your identity in Jesus first. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you that you have given us your word. I thank you, Lord, that even in Jesus' ministry, primarily among the Jewish people, that he was preparing the way and setting up a kingdom of God that would be open to everyone regardless. I pray, Lord, that we as your people would identify with you first and foremost, and that all of our other allegiances would come in a distant second. Help everyone to know myself included, and these, my friends, my brothers and sisters in Christ, exactly how we should apply what we've heard today, and then give us the courage, strength, and faith to act accordingly. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen.